Welcome to Stonebridge Online. Just before we start the service, here are some announcements and things to know. During this time of worshiping online, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com. Click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can give by mail. If you'd like business reply offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. A few weeks ago, our congregation voted to elect Pastor John Sauer as our next senior pastor head of staff. Here are some important dates to be aware of. Pastor Neil's last weekend with us will be November 7th and 8th. Pastor John's first weekend with us will be November 28th and 29th, the first weekend of Advent. At this time, Stonebridge is no longer collecting restaurant gift cards for the Samaritan Center. We continue to be in partnership with the Samaritan Center and will now assist our communities disenfranchised by providing box dinners to clients. If you would like to take an active part in providing food and or assembling box dinners, please contact the church office to be added to the volunteer roster. And we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. Hello, I'm Associate Pastor Jonathan Lucia, and welcome to Stonebridge's online worship. You know, several years ago, I was driving with a friend in Baja, Mexico, on a two-lane highway, coming around a curve, and that road had no guardrails. And there was a sign, and the sign said, Peligroso, danger. In other words, exercise caution. It was a warning sign. The scripture Pastor Neil is going to be teaching on today also serves as a warning sign to those of us most invested in church life. And so I invite you to soften your hearts. I invite you to open your ears to what God wants to say to us in worship today so that Stonebridge can be empowered to be all that God wants us to be. Again, welcome to worship. Shoulders brought me 
scripture is from Mark chapter 12 verses 1 through 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, Stonebridge. If I were to begin my message by saying four score and seven years ago, who would I be referencing? Abraham Lincoln. And what speech of Lincoln's am I referring to? The Gettysburg Address, of course. The story of Jesus in our scripture today uh, gave his original listeners a response just like our minds jump to Abraham Lincoln when we hear four score and seven years ago. When Jesus began his message saying, a man planted a vineyard, well, the people's minds immediately jumped to Isaiah chapter 5 in the Old Testament. Listen to Jesus, then listen to Isaiah 5. So, first Jesus. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Now, Isaiah 5. 
My loved one had a vineyard. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Jesus was absolutely referencing Isaiah 5 as clearly as starting a speech with four score is referencing Lincoln. And when the people heard Jesus, some of them probably winced and many probably looked down at the ground. All of them knew what was coming. Just like all of us would know that a speech that starts with four score and seven years ago is going to be about probably war or conflict and sacrifice. Back then, a speech or sermon that begins, a man planted a vineyard, well, that's going to be about the faithlessness of the people of God and God's punishment. Yikes! The grapes in the story of the vineyard in Isaiah 5 represent the people of God, and we are told they were bad grapes. We can almost hear the people in the crowd around Jesus sighing, Oh, here we go again. Another sermon about bad people. Bad, bad people. Oh, all of that is going through their minds in the opening seconds, seconds of Jesus' message. But then something surprising happens. Jesus changes the central characters in the story. It turns out Jesus isn't talking about the grapes being good or bad. He's talking about the people who care about the grapes, who care for the grapes, people that he calls tenants. So let's read it again. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Jesus' story is about farmers and tenants and servants of the vineyard owner. He isn't talking about the grapes. He's talking about the people who take care of the grapes. A sigh of relief whew, may have gone through the crowd, and they begin to think, hey, Jesus isn't talking about us. He's talking about those religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees who are in charge. And then the story gets really interesting and controversial fast because of what the tenants, who are supposed to care uh, uh, for and about the grapes, what they do to the servants who come from the vineyard owner. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, but they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. How the tenants treat the servants is where our first point comes from, and it's this. Number one, church leaders can get it wrong. I hate to bring up uh, this subject right now when Stonebridge is about to get a new senior pastor, but it's right there in Scripture. It's the next story in our long series uh, on the Gospel of Mark. And uh, it's not the grapes that are wrong, like in the original Isaiah text, but the people tending the grapes who are wrong. And boy, do they get it wrong. It gets worse. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. The tenants just don't learn. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. But they had a chance to come to their senses when the vineyard owner sends his son. Unfortunately, they didn't learn. He had one son to send, one left to send, a son whom he loved. 
he sent him last of all, saying, They'll respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Jesus was talking about the tenants, those people tasked and trusted for caring for the vineyard. And those leaders got it wrong. That's his point. They couldn't get it any more wrong than to kill the son of the owner of the vineyard. And as I say, I hate to bring this up right now, but I would have had to skip over this text entirely. You can't talk about Jesus' parable of the vineyard without talking about church leaders and the mistakes they make. And frankly, church leaders are being asked to take sides on all manners of issues today and concerns in our country. The chance of getting things wrong today seems pretty high. I can't help but think that at least sometimes we're going to be like the tenants in the story and get it wrong. For example, religious leaders are deciding whether or not to open their churches to full services, sometimes without masks. And as leaders, they're being asked to weigh in on social issues, political candidates, and to lead congregations whose members have vastly differing opinions and perspectives from each other. And before we worry too much about pastors having to do all this, whoever said we were talking about pastors? Be honest and raise your hand if you thought I was talking about pastors. Nope. Let's move on to our second point. Pastors are the servants in the story. Jesus said tenants, plural. Even in churches with multiple pastors, there are other leaders. You can name them. Elders, deacons, ministry team leaders, growth group facilitators. All of us who have leadership roles are tenants. After all, a growth group leader cares for their group members. Deacons care for those in need. Elders guide the church. In theological terms, all of these leaders are the ecclesia, the called-out ones, called out from the world to care for a congregation. We have a different theology and understanding about pastors. They are called by God and by a congregation to come and minister to that congregation on behalf of God, on behalf of the vineyard owner. Ideally, pastors are representatives of God to the tenants, in our case, the other leaders of the church. So listen to verse 2. At harvest time, he, the owner of the vineyard, sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. The pastor's role is to be a representative of Jesus, of the vineyard owner. It's a challenging role. But hey, we all have challenging roles today. I mean, more challenging now maybe than ever. But with a new pastor coming in a few weeks, may I shed a little light on the challenges your new pastor faces? First, pastors lead churches full of people who want a pastor who cares, but who wonder if he or she cares because they really care or because they're paid to care. It's a challenging situation in any church. And pastors are senior officers of small businesses. For instance, Stonebridge is a $3 million business with income and expenses. The, pa the senior pastor oversees that business, but there were no business classes in seminary. And pastors are entrepreneurs. They're expected to develop and cast vision for 
new directions for the congregation, whether it's for a specific ministry or the entire church. Someone said that leadership is forcing people to change at a rate they can stand. Well, pastors are those kinds of leaders leading a congregation. And preaching pastors are the primary communicators responsible for developing powerful, insightful, biblical, inspiring, training, and motivating lessons in 16 to 22 minutes every week, often for people who know or think they know more about the Bible than the pastor. And when they aren't writing sermons, managing business, or casting vision, pastors supervise employees, mentor elders, disciple members, nurture donors, provide customer service to disgruntled members, engage in community activities, and coach and mentor and sympathize and console and counsel every kind of care and concern of any member or passerby who contacts the church. Oh, and they lead worship and, and inspire those who help lead worship. And we want them to do all of that spontaneously while thinking on their feet and beyond every moment knowing uh, someone may just walk up to them and say something just before they're walking into a service, or really wondering what might happen. And invariably, someone will think the pastor could have, should have, done it, said it, decided it differently, more correctly or biblically, or more like Jesus would have. For example, a year ago, June, my heart went out to Pastor David Platt at McLean Bible Church in Northern Virginia. I'm sure you read about this at the time. He finished his sermon, and if he was like me and many other pastors, he intended to sit down and engage in some worship before going on with the Sunday morning activities. Instead, he was whisked backstage and told, the President of the United States is on his way to our church. He will be here in a matter of minutes and would like for us to pray for him. Oh my gosh! Wow, we are going to pray for the President? When? Now? And of course, when that person told Pastor Platt the President of the United States wanted us to pray for him, that, that person clearly meant you pray for him. Talk about thinking on your feet. As a pastor, what would you do? I would pray for the president. He's the president. Scripture tells us to pray for our leaders. Now, how do you pray? What do you pray? What do you pray on stage when you aren't praying a personal prayer, but a corporate prayer? representing all of the people in your congregation whose hands are reaching out, whose eyes are closed, and who trust you to represent them to God as you pray for a human being who is both President of the United States and a politician who many in your congregation really support and believe he is God's person for our nation, while many others in your congregation strongly believe just the opposite. And finally, how do you do all of that while keeping your adrenaline under control and your nerves calm? This is, after all, the President of the United States of America. There are Secret Service, uh, Secret Service agents all around you, and there are television cameras waiting outside for you. Oh, and go do it right now! 
The song is ending and the president is walking out on stage. Go! <laughs> wow, that is an overwhelming experience and moment. And in you version, I've linked to an article with Pastor Platt's entire prayer. I'm moved when I read it. I would be very happy and relieved if I could have prayed half as articulately and meaningfully under similar circumstances. Can anyone guess what happened next? Well, the vineyard tenant church leaders of his church and his denomination, and of churches totally unrelated to him, came at him with guns blazing from every side. Either he shouldn't have prayed for the president, or he should have prayed more powerfully. Pastor Platt ended up writing a letter to the congregation and social media posts to the world explaining and justifying his choices, his decisions, and his words. Remember that list of things I just said pastors are and do? I guess we need to add to it. Politician, national spokesperson, arbiter of public opinion and congregational expectations. I'm going to stop there for just a minute. This is a good time for me to say how I am so grateful for how well I have been treated by the wonderful people of Stonebridge. And I have no doubt you will welcome and treat your new pastor equally well. Thank you. And let me just encourage you to think once or twice or three times before writing your new pastor a letter or an email correcting him or challenging him or even asking him his position or his opinion on this or that. Remember, he isn't just your pastor. He's pastor to a diverse congregation of people and hopefully to many soon-to-be Christians who haven't even heard of Stonebridge yet. In fact, with regards to pastors, elders, and even to one another, I say to all of us, do this one thing. It's our third and final point. Number three, seek humility above all else. Would you say that with me? Seek humility above all else. This is our final and most important point because the tenets of the story, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they might have chosen a different path and made better choices if they had sought humility above all else. But they didn't. Instead, they dug their heels in and in arrogance assumed they knew what was best for the religious community and even for the nation of Israel. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Huh. It's the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. That about covers it as far as tenants go. They didn't respond in humility. They responded exactly as the tenants in the story did. They sought a way to accomplish their own goals at the cost of the Son of God. The humble response for us is to ask ourselves and to ask the Lord in prayer, am I doing the will of the vineyard owner or my own will? Am I acting in a way that honors the Son of God or costs him something? Is what I am about to say or do or write going to cost Jesus maybe a bit of his reputation? In another text, with a different metaphor, 
Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who would leave 99 sheep in the corral to look for the one lost one. Let's be humble so that we don't scare the lost one away. And believe me, it's easy to scare them away. It isn't easy to be that humble servant. I've been a part of church leaders who got it wrong. I was in a church one Sunday morning when a woman came with her little dog in her arms, literally a little dog. On Monday, someone on staff said, we can't have dogs at church. Within a few weeks, signs were posted all over the campus saying, service dogs only. The next Sunday, the woman came with her dog, and her dog had a little vest on that said, service animal. On Monday, someone on staff said, that vest is fake. I was told to go ask to see the dog's authorization. The next Sunday, I asked the woman if her dog was a trained service animal. And on Monday, I told the staff the woman wouldn't be coming back. Were we right to feel relief rather than grief? To this day, I feel that we acted like the tenants in this story, watching out for our own interests more than the interests of the vineyard owner. And back in 33 AD, the lack of humility on the part of the religious leaders led to the arrest and conviction of Jesus. Today, all across America, pastors, elders, and other Christian leaders, in fact, all of us are making choices and taking actions that impact our individual churches and combined influence over 205 million Christians in the United States. And those 205 million live out that influence towards each other and towards people outside the church, people we might describe as lost sheep. All that amazing influence will be most Christ-like when we seek humility above all else. Those first century leaders wouldn't listen to Jesus, and they even plotted his death, all the while believing they were being loyal tenants of the vineyard owner. But God wasn't surprised, and Jesus wasn't defeated. Our text finishes with these words, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is the cornerstone of our church. Jesus Christ, who always humbled himself. Let's follow his example. We who are servants and tenants, pastors and church elders and church leaders, sure, we can get it wrong sometimes, but if we will seek humility above all else, Stonebridge can be a vineyard of God in Simi Valley where tenants and servants who serve our risen Lord, are making a difference all over this valley. May it be so. Amen. Walking.
Thank you for worshiping with Stonebridge Online this week. And now receive the closing blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
you may abound in hope. Go in peace. Thank you.